Hi, everybody. It's Rock and John. Now hear this. So the other day I was saying, I pulled out the album Miles of Isles by Jody Mitchell. And it was sweet. I'll, I'll tell you a real short story. Uh, a guy you got Robin know, Ford, right, on guitar. Yeah, Robin. here's the Robin Ford story. Yeah. I think the year is 1974. That's when it was recorded. Yeah, it was released then, too. Okay, so what happens in 74 is playing along, and he gets a call from this guy, Tom Scott. says, oh, you want to join my band? And I think he likes the piano player. CLA Express. So he goes, okay, I'll join it, but, you know, we'll see what happens. He's not thrilled. He's not not thrilled. It's something to do. Get him out of the blues groove. So right at that point, Tom Scott says, hey, I'm going to do something with Joni Mitchell. So you want to do that? So who's Joni Mitchell? So he goes and he listens. He gets that gig. In well, one that, year, was the, that was the Court and Spark tour. Yeah. So that was pretty is. big for her. But for him, he's a, he's a blues guitar right. player, right? right? So he's joining Tom Scott. It's okay. Then all of a sudden, he's starting with Joni Mitchell and doing that tour. When that tour ends, Tom Scott says, listen, George Harrison needs somebody. So he ends up playing with George Harrison. So in 1974, he goes from being a, just a straight-up blues guy to playing with Tom Scott and the LA Express, Tom Scott and the LA Express with Joni Mitchell, and then the same band with George Harrison. He goes, that was the year. Yeah, and the problem with the, the George Harrison tour was he'd blown his voice out and didn't really get it back till the very end, and that's kind of iffy, too. However, that yeah. live album that came out on Warner Brothers, the from, live double disc Japan, in Japan, 1992, Clapton's yeah. band, I thought it was great. I could not figure out why it wasn't embraced, why it wasn't pushed. Well, it was his last album for Warner Brothers, and it also had a black cover with a black image of George on it and some hard-to-read Asian-style Well, you would lettering. think Beatle fans would have discovered it because the performances are first-rate. They're absolutely live. Their version of something. He's well, one of the best. Funny, it's funny you mention that. That version of something on that album, George Harrison, while he apparently he was listening to Dat tapes of the tour while he was on vacation afterwards, and he said that he thinks that that's some of his bet. He and Eric trade off the lead. Yes. Like literally one that goes first and then the other one. And he said it was probably the most perfect capturing of their guitar relationship, like when they practice at home and stuff like that. And he, George also, very unlike George, he said he really, really thought he had done a really good solo on there. And then he said Clapton just picked it right up. Yeah. You know? right. Well, now the Joni Mitchell thing. Uh, you mentioned that you had a song in particular off Miles of Isles. You like? Oddly enough, oddly enough, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that usually goes for the obscure stuff. I remember uh, with Miles of Isles uh, really enjoying her version of Big Yellow Taxi on there. I don't know why, but, you know, that's a really good album. And I was going to say about uh, Robin Ford, it's one thing to be playing with Tom Scott, L.A. Express. It's another thing to be playing with George Harrison. I happen to know from things I've read, Joni Mitchell is very, very exacting and very demanding of her musicians. Inti she intimidates musicians. You had mentioned something, too, about painting. And, you know, she is a painter, a, a very good one most of the time. I mean, I really enjoy her stuff. What was it you said that you had a quote or something that she had said? Oh, well, she says on this album as she's talking to the crowd. It was on the LP. Okay. I guess it's on the CD, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where she says, when you're an artist, you do the painting and you're done and you move on. Nobody asks Van Gogh to paint another Starry Night. But right. we ask our musicians to give me to, another hit yeah give me another one you know as, as randy newman once sang on uh, his album bad love there's a song that's very thinly veiled i think about the rolling stones i'm not sure he goes and every album they put out sounds just like the one before just not as good <laughs> so <Happens. laughs> 
Speaker. necessarily embraced by the public in general. Huh. I, I can do one do right off the, off the top of my head. It's a song, Eye of the Needle, by the group Ten Wheel Drive with Genya Raven. Genya Raven? I thought it was Genya Raven. I don't know. Genya, I, I remember Genya. Dave Herman on WNEW yeah. calling, 
saying it Genya Raven. So okay, I'm so whatever Dave Herman said is right. This was one of the unheralded jazz rock classics. You know, 10-piece big band and a great hook, really good vocal, cool middle section with pianos. It's, it's parts more than it's solo. So mm-hmm. it's one of those eight-minute songs uh, reminds me of I'm Your Captain by Grand Funk and that here's a long song, but it's not about soloing in length. It's about the composition. So uh, this song, 10 Wheel Drive, Eye of the Needle, great tune, and we're going to play it. I can't think of a song off the top of my head, but I can think of like Frank Zappa. I have a lot of friends, including you, that are very much appreciative of Frank Zappa and his music. You know, I always say to people, when they, they say they either like or don't like Frank Zappa, I usually say, well, what have you heard? Because, uh, you know, as you and I know, his music changed so much and he did so many different things, you know, from the honest to God classical music to his later Sinclavier stuff, the different bands. I mean, there's Waka Jawaka and Grand Wazoo, which are favorites of mine that are big, totally big band, almost all instrumental records with long songs. I love the apostrophe and overnight sensation I should preface it by saying I have all his records, for better or worse. I've got them all. And I really came to realize that like, after about the mid to late 70s, he kind of lost me. I'm not saying that it's bad or anything. I'm not saying that there aren't things I might not like here or there. I just didn't really care for the Sinclavier stuff, even though I understood that he was going for absolute perfection. And he preferred at the time the cold mechanical perfection to... The band. But, you know, I'll listen to things, for instance, on his One Size Fits All album. I'll listen to uh, San Bernardino is one song. The tightness of the band and not so much the musical chops that he got later with his band members like Terry Bozio and Steve Vinyl, where it was just, I mean, these guys could deliver what he wrote on the page. This was a little bit looser, but still very complex. And I guess I just... I appreciated the realistic musicians playing in a studio. I even liked when he would comp things where he'd take a live track and record in the studio over it, or my favorites were, and I don't know how he did it, he would record a a song in the studio and then take a guitar solo solo from a different song done on stage and make it work. (laughs) We'll play San Bernardino. Okay. You know, there's a... Uh, and I have to say, I love Napoleon Murphy Brock's scatting. He's not the lead singer, but at the end, when they are jamming out hard for Zappa, he starts doing this kind of scatting and everything that is just brilliant. <laughs>
characters that I think are indicative of what I think is happening inside my head. <laughs> I think the way my brain sounds is the song Cletus Auritus Auritus. Yes. I always like to eat that question myself. Both of these songs are on a Grand Wazoo. Cletus Auritus Auritus, yes. That's how and, I think it and, sounds in my head. Yeah, eat that question was on there and... But you know that's a that's a great album. At the time, I was just I was you know twelve or thirteen when he put out those Waka Jawaka Hot Rats mm-hmm. and Grand Wazoo, and I didn't really get them because the, the what he'd put out before that was some of the Flo and Eddie years. Oddly enough, they've grown to be two of my favorite albums of his. What I never got was that he was telling me what he was doing didn't register. He says I'm a composer. I always thought rock bands played, you know, they're rocking out. Mm-hmm. And even though, you know, Yes or ELP or Jethro Tull, they were compositions. I never thought of them as grand compositions, the way I thought of maybe classical music. Mm-hmm. But Zappa was a composer. Literally he, putting ink on a page. Yeah, he wasn't rocking out. I didn't get it for a long, long time. So now you have to, I think of him as a composer rather than as a rock and roll musician. I think he did too. I, two things. One is Frank Zappa said several times during his life that when asked, what are your favorite songs of yours or your favorite albums? And he'd go, it's all one album. It's all one continuous album, which I always, I always thought was very interesting considering um, it, the music was so different, sometimes from album to album. You, usually there were periods though. And uh, the other thing too is I suspect, I don't know this, that the reason he didn't rehearse his bands, he always had a deputy rehearse them, was because, as you say, he was a composer who literally wrote down on notation paper notes. And I think in his mind, that's how it is. That's how it should be played. Now, the thing I always found amazing is while he had his bands rehearsing, he presumably was recording, writing more songs, but yet he would come in cold as a guitarist, and you know we both know he's a, he was a great one, and he'd be hot as hell. It was like he'd just fall in without having to technically rehearse it, uh, which I always found just incredible. I've actually seen some pictures recently of him like on airplanes, and he's got notation paper on the little tray, and he's like writing things. I don't know if you know his instrumental song, uh, The Black Page. Well, it's yes. called The Black Page because... So many notes. <laughs> so many notes, right, exactly. Well, that's how Steve Vai got his gig. He transcribed The Black Page, gave it to Zappa and said, here, I transcribed your song. And he said, oh, that's great, transcribe some more. And that's oh. literally how it was his introduction into the band. Uh, anyway, Zappa was just incredible. You know, they've released a lot, probably more records since he's died in 1993 than he put out while he was alive. And some of them are good, some of them are bad. It's a real mixed bag. A lot of them don't really have a theme when it comes to the studio stuff. It bounces around all over the place. It's kind of like when the Beatles put out the Beatles anthology albums. As much as I enjoyed them, and I do, I thought to myself, wow, they picked the right songs to put out. Yeah, I think they did pick the right songs, but I and the really, right versions. I enjoy hearing the mistakes. Yes. And I enjoy the fact that they sound stupid, but they sound like the Beatles. You know, I'd like to play the the, the tracks of all the, uh, the the Beatles' I'll Take Mistakes. I give you a track of that. Five minutes where they go through a dozen different right. songs, and you go, wow, they really sound like the Beatles. And yeah. They're, they're and horsing around and having fun. And you know, they just put out the uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club mm. Band, the remix. with I bought the deluxe set, which has the remix, the surround version, but it's also got two discs of outtakes. All of different songs. I've heard a lot of the Strawberry Fields outtakes, which came out on the anthology and all this. Eh, it was good. Well, there's a version. Uh, I think it's the second song on the second disc, the second version of uh, Strawberry Fields. 
and it's just wonderful. All the, I mean, it's just the Beatles playing, and it's like all the parts are there that you you hear on the finished track or, or uh, approximations of those, but it's just them. And it's like, and the one thing that struck me was how loud Ringo was in the mix. And I just read an article that was basically based on listening to this newly reconfigured Sgt. Pepper album, newly uh, uh, remastered and, and mixed, and the article was just like, how great a drummer Ringo was and it pointed out like how loud he would be in the mix on some things and then they had you know testimonials from all the great drummers who were just saying you know it's too loud <laughs> no 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 but they were saying you know people like Jim Keltner they were just going you know when they were growing up in the 60s when they were just getting into the biz they were like every Beatles record like they would listen to Ringo and go like he comes up with this stuff that it's not in the forefront, and it sounds very easy, but in fact, it's very difficult to well, do. Well, we gotta we gotta play this version. Of we will play it. Yes.
Can we skip the mouth organ? And when I whisper <laughs> I, I couldn't hear what chords they were going to. Did you go to the middle of the uh, Take bit less of George? I feel as I'm singing in a sock. I want two, three, four. <laughs> Sorry, God, I'm sorry. I was just watching George and I thought, on, it must be all right. One, two. You know. Fourteen. One, two. Oh, no, 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 no. Fifteen. Falling over here. What happened? It's every time you jump like that. It is. You make a bit of wind on it. Moonlight, take one. Mr. Moonlight. Oh, Yes, yeah, not bad that one. Take two. <laughs> I don't know, no. Mr. Moonlight! Did the red light on? I know it is. Huh? So. And don't slow down for Christ's sake. Let's take it down. Or I'm giving you no more drugs. Been for a shit, I see, Megan. Take one, no doubt. This happened once before I came to your door No reply They said it wasn't you But I saw you peep through Your window I saw the light Never made it Stop I saw the light Just can't get anywhere near light now So we'll have to do it I saw the light Take 
two. Remember to come back to the I'll try to remember, John, and if I don't, well, it's just too bad, isn't it? Yeah, it's a yes. Oh, it's not a five. Four of them. One, two, three, four. George, what did it sound like with the bass doing a funny thing? Did it sound any good or did it sound just a lovely crap? It sounded like Did it? Well, there, uh, see, told you. Yeah, hello to you and see how you like it.
conversation with this guy, Burton Avery, who is the composer the yeah, and guitarist in The Knack. And I just went over by Sharona. And the cool thing was he told me that the famous octave riff, was inspired from listening to Elvis Costello's second album and the song Pump It Up. Right. He said that groove, that feel, he says it's not an exact thing, but that was a total inspiration in his mind. He's hearing that garage band pump it up feel and he comes up with that octave so that's the germination of that song so we got to play pump it up yes
I'm finding that I'm liking a lot more live versions of songs that I really love the studio versions of. For instance, I played for you last time you were here. I bought several of Bruce Springsteen official bootleg CDs. And one that I'd had sitting around for a good couple of years was his, I think it's a two or three CD set of Bruce Springsteen with the E Street Band touring behind Tunnel of Love, which was his first solo solo album you know i really love tunnel of love it's just a personal favorite i particularly like the song tougher than the rest which even with that what i thought was an electronic drum thing i just an amazing song an amazing performance amazing lyrics the whole thing on this this version that uh was recorded in los angeles in april of 1988 i didn't think it was possible but it tops it it's just every bit as good but you've got a uh, electric rhythm guitar going on that just is enhancing. And then a uh, bass player, Gary Talent, Gary Talent the, who is talented, he just takes it to another dimension a few times just by like doing octaves on the bass of what he's doing. And it's just so powerful, just so simple but powerful and placed perfectly. See, I've always loved Springsteen's guitar solo playing because it's so, to me, it's so psychedelic influenced, which kind of goes against the grain of how I think of Bruce Springsteen. But it's so... Um, uh, kind of like Terry Kath was in Chicago. It was it's so freeform mm. and stingy in a lot of ways. And But at the same time, as I say, it's almost psychedelic. It almost harkens does back... Does he take a solo and tougher than the rest? Yes, he does. Although it's uh, much more written out uh, as a part and mm. very similar to the version on the record, his sound too. You know, Bruce Springsteen, even though he plays that Telecaster... Whatever it is, whatever uh, you know, pedal he pushes when it's lead time really puts some power in there. Well, let's listen to it. We will. We will.
I go to sleep, I listen to music. I just put on earbuds and, and listen randomly. And I'm still using an iPod, you know, because yeah. I want yeah. 20,000 songs. I don't want just a thousand. Right, right. <laughs> Got to have a little variety, you know. Yeah. Your wife has a dresser, too. You know, <laughs> so the other day I just heard this alive version of Rocket in My Pocket. I said, boy, the Richie Hayward oh, yeah. is spectacular. Oh, yeah. And the really intricacies was. of he this really song was. are spectacular. And the sexual innuendo is spectacular. Yeah. And I said, boy, this is a great song for them yeah. when they do it and live. And Richie Hayward was just phenomenal. Uh, I mean, and, and you had Lowell George, of course, who played slide guitar unlike anybody I've ever heard. He played slide guitar like as if it were a... Uh, a violin or something. He would hold notes. Well, the and reason that, he did that is because he was always playing with a pedal that would not let the volume decrease. So he was really playing an organ. He wasn't playing the guitar. Okay, that makes sense. And that's why uh, Bonnie Raitt got that from him. She, she's very And she's close, got yeah. that sound, too. Yeah, she he does. slides into a note, and the volume doesn't go down. It just right. hangs there, and he, and he you know, rings the hell out of it. Yeah, but, but who else plays like that? Who else, like, would go to a handful of notes during the song? Now, I've heard him cut loose a couple of times. But mostly, and yes, Rocket in My Pocket. I love Rocket in My Pocket, especially the Hoi Hoi version, so much that it's my ringtone. I love, even though it wasn't real, in other words, the intro... To the start of Waiting for Columbus. When they go, join the band. You know that? I always thought that, that was them either in the back. That wasn't real. It didn't happen in real time. They, they put it, they cut it, and they put it in front of it. All right. That intro to a live album, and then that rendition of Fat Man in the Bathtub, yeah. is one of my consistently make-me-smile kind of songs. I love all the parts. I love the sound of the synthesizer. I love the lyric. I think that's hysterical. Spot check, Billy got down on his hands and knees and said, hey, mama, hey, let me check your oil. oil. All right. right. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, no, 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 not tonight. Come back Monday, come back Tuesday, and then I might. And that is the fat man in the bathtub (laughs) with the blues. Right, exactly. But but just that rendition and that intro, I mean, that intro to me makes it, it, the song itself is spectacular and that extra little 45 seconds ahead of it brings it to another level let me tell you it's on Dixie Chicken that was one of the I'd say first 10 CDs I probably ever bought I remember I was I was working with you at Cherry Lane at the time and you know you'd always be surprised remember we'd go record shop or CD shopping in those days and you'd be surprised yeah and you'd be surprised by oh look look what they finally put out you know it was all about sound in those days folks no mp3s it was all about good sound but anyway I remember getting that album and I hadn't had it before and playing it at home, and I just fell in love with Fat Man in the Bathtub. Just, I remember thinking, like, what a composition, what a performance, and those lyrics, as you said. And I think the live one on Waiting for Columbus oh, yeah. just kills it. Is it a, yeah. You know, you just gave an example of a live song beating out the Springsteen. Right, exactly. I think this live version But I've is always thought it's an amazing one. song. Just but yeah, an amazing it is, song. but the definitive version of Waiting for Columbus, we got to play it. We'll play it. Thank you. 
welcoming and welcoming. Let's hear it.
what we're talking about. 